0: Web applications are used on a wide variety of platforms. On each of these platforms, the web app needs to load properly and allow the user to navigate the website and interact with all of the user flows, such as sign up, log in, and the various read and write operations that make up the functionality of any website. It's difficult to ensure web application functionality across all platforms because there are so many different Configurations of platforms. You've got different operating systems, different underlying hardware, different browsers, different device form factors. These all create potential sources of suboptimal website functionality and performance. Testing web applications often involves the work of a manual quality assurance employee, or QA. The QA can simulate the procedures that a normal user would go through. This QA process ensures that the website is operating as expected, but the manual workflow can slow down software development. Gabriel James Safar is a software engineer and the founder of Madumbo, which was acquired by Datadog. Madumbo was founded with the goal of making web application testing simpler by identifying errors in pages and enabling users to create test suites from recordings of user activity. The process simplifies and accelerates the testing process. And those recordings can just be made by a QA person who can make the recording and then rerun the recording over time rather than having to automate tests or have programmed tests or repeat the process manually. Gabriel James joins the show to talk about his experience building Modumbo and his perspective on the modern application testing process. Full disclosure, Datadog is a sponsor of Software Engineering Daily, and Datadog now owns Modumbo and is integrating that product into their own product. Monday.com is a team management platform that brings all of your work, external tools, and communications into one place, making cross-team collaboration easy. You can try Monday.com and get a 14-day trial by going to monday.com slash SEDaily. And if you decide to become a customer, you will get 10% off by using coupon code SEDaily. What I love most about Monday.com is how fast it is. Many project management tools are hard to use because they take so long to respond. And when you're engaging with project management and communication software, you need it to be fast, you need it to be responsive, and you need the UI to be intuitive. Monday.com has a modern interface that's beautiful to look at. There are lots of ways to use Monday, but it doesn't feel overly opinionated. It's flexible, can adapt to whatever application you need, dashboards, communication, Kanban boards, issue tracking. If you're ready to change the way that you work online, give Monday.com a try by going to monday.com slash SEDaily and get a free 14-day trial. And you will also get 10% off if you use the discount code SEDaily. Monday.com received a Webby Award for Productivity App of the Year, And that's because many teams have used Monday.com to become productive. Companies like WeWork and Philips and Wix.com. Try out Monday.com today by going to Monday.com slash SEDaily. Thank you to Monday.com for being a sponsor of Software Engineering Daily. Gabriel James Safar, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. The first job that I ever had as a software engineering intern was writing scripts. And these were scripts that would test a web application. So these scripts would run through common scenarios that an application might go through, like a sign-in flow or perhaps navigating a web page to make sure that I could click into certain things. And these automated tests... Would run on a regular basis. This was maybe 10 years ago. Do modern software companies have QA positions like this even today?
1: Yeah, they do. And if you want to know, they even have uh, QA positions with people that just do it manually and that click on the buttons themselves, not even automating
0: it. So, answer is yes, your, your issue is still very, very problem of today's. Tell me how the modern QA department at a software company works. So actually, the dev world changed uh, drastically with the
1: DevOps movement. So obviously, now operation and development are intertwined and everyone knows it. For the QA, it's not that obvious. And I think that still today, many companies are struggling with how to handle the QA. And that's true for basically all the companies, I think. But the bigger you are, the most difficult it is. And when I'm saying that, it means that there are tons of ways that it's handled. Some companies say that they shouldn't have anyone in charge of the QA because engineers are in charge of doing so. And with ICDs it's easier and easier all the time. Others are saying that it's the job of both Engineers and product managers to work on QA, and then a very large number of, of companies are still relying on people dedicated to that job. I don't want to say non-accurate numbers, but people with ISTQB, you know that the quality software testing certificate, several hundreds of of thousands. We are speaking of many people that are doing that as their jobs. So there are a lot of ways to to practice the QA even today, and. Um, In many cases, it's a very difficult balance to find because it can really slow down the pace on which the deployment and the new features can be shipped.
0: How does the information propagate through the organization relative to that testing? So for example, how does the QA person know what to test? How do the bugs that they discover in their QA tests propagate back to the programmers who are writing code that fixes things according to those tests? Tell me how the workflow goes. Yeah. So
1: I will describe you the, the workflow of how it used to be, you know, when 10 years ago you were doing that. The agile uh, way of managing uh, delivery was not quite there yet. And back in the days, as you know, there, was, there were waterfalls. So engineers, uh, so some people were doing the specs, they were giving it to engineers, and then engineers started coding. At the same time, there were QA people that started doing a testing plan. So they were listing all the features that needed to be, to be tested. And then whenever the first version of the product was ready, the, the engineers would put that on a staging or pre-prod environment. And then they would have the QA people that would s- swarm on that environment and do all the tests, usually manually. And they were using very, very complex products that, that are still very up-to-date like ALMs, like HP Enterprise products, now, now Microfocus, they would, they, they would be using that to put every single item, every single test that wouldn't succeed. And then it would go back to engineering that would fix that and then deploy again and over and over again. Usually after that, there were another way. And so people started to, you know, to have several uh, waterfalls intertwined three, four waterfalls intertwined in order to not waste times while the, the QA was done over the new features that are released, et cetera, et cetera. So there was that, that way of working that's, that's fairly complex with a lot of tooling to, to, to work on that. And then all of a sudden with Agile, something broke up. Um, it broke up because in a company such as, well, in modern companies, like we do, for example, in Datadog, engineers we were... Will potentially deploy every day. Each of them might deploy every day. And now, how can you work uh, with a QA that's sufficiently agile? Even with you, you cannot. You do not even have time to do that list of features to be tested. So, all of a sudden, it's super hard to do.
0: So, these people who are writing QA tests today, do they need to be programmers? Because back when I back when I was doing this script writing, you definitely needed to be a programmer to have high leverage. Like, I mean, my work relative to the manual QA person, I mean, I couldn't test things as complex as the manual QA person, but I could write tests that were reproducing themselves and so that they could be, they could be executed with the click of a button. So it was higher leverage. But people who write QA tests today, 10 years later, we have better tooling. Do we still need programmers writing QA tests?
1: Well, you know, the the issue now is that we have a, a shortage of people able to program and willing to do QA. So in some organizations, yes, you do. You, you definitely do. And these guys are really, really important uh, in these organizations. In many big organizations, they will be either very important or contractors because it's potentially very hard to find these skills uh, because doing test automation, as you said, need, uh, implies that you are able to code. And at the same time, it might be seen as not as exciting to code test automation as to code a new feature. So how to attract someone with that kind of capabilities? So at the same time as that kind of capabilities were, were needed, there were some new toolings, some new tooling that, that came out. And this tooling essentially aims at lowering the bar of the skills needed to do test automation. And it's a global trend, right? It's what we, are, what, well, what we were trained to do at Madembo and that we are still doing at Datadog. But it's also globally the, all the, the, the movement of uh, RPA, robotic process automation, with great products like UiPath, for example. It's, it's fairly different. Uh, they are not addressing the same use cases. But still, the goal is to make it easier and to have less technical people and potentially more business-oriented people automate stuff, automate tasks. And in the case of QA, yes, the goal is to, is to lower the bar. Is it lowered? It really depends on the company. There, there is no one answer, one size fits all answer. But I think that the tooling is now more, more and more efficient to to allow people that uh, do not code, uh, including product managers or QA practitioners to do test automation without having to spend time on on coding, yes.
0: You mentioned an acronym, RPA. Can you define that? Robotic Process Automation. It's
1: a trend, uh, or actually it's a set of software that uh, aim at automating tasks that used to be done by a human being and that are time consuming. There are some great products that are on the market and specialized in that area. Maybe the, the most famous one is UiPath, if you've heard of it. Have you?
0: I've heard of it. I don't know what it does. I haven't yeah, looked at the, it. Yeah,
1: you, because you're not the target. The target are mostly business people who are trying to be to make their their, their process most, more efficient. And so it can be potentially, it can be very low tech. It can be like, how do I automate checking the compliance of a doc and, and seeing, okay, it's okay. That can be that kind of that kind of thing. The goal is not to have to change all the interface of your system to be able to automate it, because engineers could automate everything, but potentially it would uh, it would imply revamping the system uh, deeply. And a way to avoid that is to use these these tools to automate that kind of uh, tedious tasks.
0: So these tests that we're writing in one way or another. When do we use these tests? When do they get run? Is it do they just get run nightly? Do they get run part of continuous delivery pushes? How does QA testing fit into the life cycle of software?
1: So I think that it's it's now fairly common, uh, and we see it in Datadog. It's fairly common to have uh, tests that are running against production, and that's not new. That's something that is that was done probably ten years ago when you when you were doing that. These tests were were synthetics, so scripts, automating tests uh, made against production in order to detect whenever something stopped working. So instead of having to monitor all your servers, all your uh, services, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You would use the last layer to to see if down the road it works, uh, and that's that's very powerful because whenever a test stops working, whenever there is an alert, uh, then you can be warned and you know very specifically what stopped working. That the feature, blah, making logging, then creating and then creating an account, and then adding an item to the cart. That path stopped working, and that's. Very explicit. So that's one thing, uh, running against production. Another very common practice is to run tests uh, after deploys. That's very exciting because you deploy and then you launch your test. So you can do it, for example, against your staging environment. So instead of having a broken code going to production, or instead of having human beings checking manually that it works, the first layer of job is done by these scripts and tell you if ever something stopped working after your, your, your new deploy. And another possibility is to do that within your CI CD, within your CI pipeline. And that's sort of the, the holy grail. Uh, that's Of course, it, it requires much more tooling because it means that you have scripts that can access, that can access your CI environment, that means that your CI environment is building uh, a real front end with real URLs you can scripts can access to. So all these things are, are, are more tooling. But of course, blocking bad code to go to the next environment is something super powerful and very, very appealing. And a vision that, that I have is that the tooling will make it easier and easier to set up and make sure that that kind of... That kind of um, that kind of uh, of, of feature will be more widespread. To give you a secret, until very recently, we didn't do it at DataDog either. So because creating the setup with security constraints was too tedious. Now that we have the right tooling to do that, uh, we are doing it and we are trying to do it at scale with more and more of our features. Does all that make sense? What do you feel?
0: It does. I'd like to talk about the company that you started, which was eventually acquired by Datadog. This company is called Madumbo. What was the goal of Madumbo? So, the goal of Madumbo
1: was to help people with their QA process. And I'm seeing people on purpose because our targets were either the business side in charge of an IT project, like product management or product owners, or the IT part in charge of the delivery. These were the, the, our targets. Uh, depending on the companies, the, the reporting lines were different. But these guys were, were who we were talking to. And we started working on that because we had started another startup with my co-founder. And we had a lot of issues with regressions. So we tried to create the tooling needed to, to make life easier to everyone. And we started with creating a tool that, he, that was as far as we knew fairly new that we named the Roamer. It was some sort of some sort of um, let's say a link crawler, but instead of of stopping at crawling links, it would trigger every single piece of JavaScript it could find on the website. So you can imagine it as something that goes on the first page of a website and then try to find. Every single state uh, of the of the website, in order to click on every button, to take every content, to check uh, what's the quality of that content, ch- check the spelling, uh, check the, um, the responsiveness, check the JS errors, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, of the product that it started working on in a totally autonomous manner. One of the big challenges in doing that was, so technically, it was how to make sure that we were had that we had a, a good coverage, and notably on the, on the forms. Filling forms is very difficult. Understanding when, you, when, a, when a script arrives on a form that it needs to put a date, that it needs to put a name, a city, etc., etc., et, cetera, et cetera, is, is fairly tough. And then the other issue was to, to show the value, because of course, it's valuable to show that you deploy, you have a script that covers everything and tells you every new error and every new typo that you have but it doesn't remove a process that you already have. And so very quickly after starting that, we started working on another product uh, that was adding up to the first one, and which was a recorder. With that recorder, we tried to say to the teams that they could very easily automate the QA, and that for the rest, the other scenarios that they didn't think of, they could use uh, the the Roamer to cover up everything. So that that was sort of our our approach. And very fast, it proved to be very, very exciting as a topic because there are tons of technical issues to to tackle when when working on that.
0: Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a scalable, full-stack monitoring platform. Datadog synthetic API tests help you detect and debug user-facing issues in critical endpoints and applications. Build and deploy self-maintaining browser tests to simulate user journeys from global locations. If a test fails, get more context by inspecting a waterfall visualization or pivoting to related sources of data for troubleshooting. Plus, Datadog's browser tests automatically update to reflect changes in your UI so you can spend less time fixing tests and more time building features. You can proactively monitor user experiences today with a free 14-day trial of Datadog, and you will get a free t-shirt. Go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash datadog to get that free t-shirt and try out Datadog's monitoring solutions today. As you said, this was partly inspired by some previous work that you had been doing, a previous company you were working on. You said you were encountering lots of regressions and Madumbo was in some ways an effort at building a company that could solve those regression issues. Can you go back a little further? Can you tell me what was going wrong uh, what were those issues that you wanted to address with Madumbo at your previous company?
1: Well, so you know, we were we were a very small company and uh, we had basically no resources. But we were, well, we were obviously cloud native, uh, and we we had there were two or three people coding, two or three developers, and these guys were pushing code and putting it to to production. Of course, we didn't have anyone to do the QA, so we we could not waste manpower on checking it manually. And it was a B2C product. And uh, it was basically uh, a booking.com for running events, so marathons and stuff like that. And so whenever the the, the search button for a research engine doesn't work, uh, doesn't work, you are in a very bad position. And it happened more than once. It happened several times. So after that issue popped several times, we started working on doing... Test automation. We used Selenium. Uh, we implemented these tests in our uh, CI/CD, etc. It was uh, for us, which uh, and we were very small. It was a big investment. Uh, like it was potentially several sprints of engineers to to do that. So it was a big investment uh, because setting up the environment takes a lot of time. Setting up the infrastructure to be able to run the test takes a lot of time. Maintaining the test takes an awful amount of time because one of the big issues with test automated by engineers is that whenever the color of the button changes, potentially it breaks the test. So a lot of issues happen. So that was that was the situation we were on, and I think we are not the only ones in that situation. Of, oh, I have a product I want to go fast, but very fast. I understand that trying to go faster will will just
0: break everything and 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 put me in a very bad situation. So. Explain in a little more detail how the products that you built at Madumbo improved the QA process. Sure. So
1: I'll start with the the recorder. So essentially, the way test automation works is that you have a script that will be on a Chrome or whatever browser. And uh, that script will try to find the elements it needs to interact with in order to do a click or to validate some assertions. So for example, most of the actions can be summed up as I want to click on that button and then I want to make sure that it's written uh, welcome Mr. Blah, you arrived on the website. And the issue is how to identify the elements. That's a very tedious one. You can use the IDs, but in HTML, there is no validation made by the browsers. The browser will always render something even though Uh, there are 20 elements in your web page that have the same ID, it will work. And you can do very, very terrible stuff in in the front-end, it will work. And so the issue is how to identify an element uniquely to make sure that that's the right one to interact with. Another issue is that front-end code is very easy to change. It's much easier to to iterate fast. Front-end engineers can usually work on 15 tasks in a a sprint during one week. So there are a lot of times where he releases new code and potentially can can break stuff. And it can also change the the X path of that element, which is another way to identify the elements to interact with. So long story short, it's hard to identify elements and it's super easy to change their name, so to speak. So we tried to address that. We tried to address that first by making a recorder that is super easy to use, putting it in the cloud. All that made it super easy to set up, super easy to create your first test. You didn't have to spend a lot of time setting up the infrastructure to do that because it's tedious. And then was our main piece of work, which was about identifying elements. And so actually we created an algorithm able to identify elements uh, with several different algorithms. Uh, these algorithms are named locators and they are, each of them are identifying the element you are clicking on in a unique manner. And then when we replay your test, these locators will try to find the element on your, on your page. Potentially your button will have changed its color. One locator will potentially rely on the color because it will rely on classes or on attributes. And then you change the color but that's okay because we have other locators not using the same elements or trimming them in a different manner that will be able to identify that element. And then all these keys are voting and saying which element is the one that they feel is the one they should interact with. And after doing all that, they, they decide on, where, on which element the, 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 the button should click. Then, uh, at the end of the test, if the test works until the end and one of the key has broken, then we will reheal the broken key, leveraging the ones that worked. So it means that your tests are less brittle. They are more adaptive to what's happening to your, to your front end. And they are also, uh, more, they are easier to create and faster to, to
0: reheal and easier to, they won't break every time. So one product that you built is this recording tool. And Mm -hmm. to me, this product, if you compare it to the work that I did as a QA person and the manual QA person, it fills some gap between those two roles. So for example, uh, I had to write a lot of code in order to have reproducible Tests that could run every night or whenever there was a continuous delivery push. The manual QA person would go through a manual QA flow and report any bugs associated with it, but their work was not reproducible. The recording system that you wrote is a system where if I turn on the recording and I'm one of these manual QA people, I can then go through the flow, and the recording tool turns my manual work into a programmatic test. A- am I describing how that tool works correctly? Absolutely. And, um,
1: and actually, what, what you're describing was absolutely what we were pitching. Uh, what we were saying is that by making it super easy to use, we allowed even manual testers, to take that in charge, which is fortunate because, you know, in most cases, the people describing the scenarios to be tested are not in the IT department. They are product managers, product owners, or reporting to these guys. So usually it was a way to empower the people and making sure that they could, as fast as they could describe what was supposed to be tested, do it themselves. And so save a lot of time doing it and consequently, Increase the, the quality because, of course, you cannot test everything. You cannot test every single element uh, with an automated test because you, sometimes you need just to, to explore your product in order to feel if something is off. So the goal is exactly it is How, to, how do we save time to people to, who are doing test automation to ensure that they can do more testing, that they can do exploratory testing? That's exactly the story. But I'd like to add something on the fact that recorders already existed. We were not the first ones doing a recorder. But recorders always had that issue that the ways to identify elements that were produced by the the other recorders were super brittle, making the engineers very skeptical about using them. Because an engineer would tell you, look, if I need to to use a, a black box tool, and that it doesn't work, then I cannot do anything with it. And then I need to to change it and do it manually. So what's the point? That was the why we, we focused and put so much energy on making that multi-locator system.
0: So the workflow, once I have a recording system, does that totally enable the manual QA person to have the same degree of empowerment as the programmer who is writing automated tests? Or are there still kinds of tests that a recorded manual QA person cannot accomplish?
1: So there are several things. So in order to ensure to empower them, we did a lot of efforts. One of the big issues that you have when you are not coding yourself is that you cannot reuse the same scenarios. if you have a long journey that you want to test, then it's a little tedious, right? It's, it's, even if it's recorded, even if it's clicking on 40 buttons, still it's a little tedious. And so if we wanted to improve that, we needed to introduce new features to do that. And so we introduced a feature uh, named subtests, meaning you could use a test within another test. Uh, then uh, we understood that there were issues about how can I check at the same time one tab and another tab. Uh, That's very important if you have an admin dashboard and you are performing actions and you want to ensure that these actions are updating the admin dashboard in the proper manner. And so we had to add a feature making that validation. Then we ended up on topics where people wanted to upload files. We had to add a feature to upload files, etc., etc. So what I'm saying is it's a, a race to ensure that we are able to provide all these features. It's a race that's not over, uh, but our goal, yes, is to make it super easy. At the very end, there will be some things that will still be easier to test with people that are specialists and that can code somehow. Um, for example, if you have uh, a system that is giving you points uh, uh, if you purchase $100, then you get 100 points, uh, that type of systems. If you have that type of systems and there is uh, an operation to transform that $100 into two times less points uh, rounded down, then you need a system to write it down in the script. And so you need to introduce some JavaScript to do actions against these variables. And these things still need... Uh, people able to, to code a bit, uh, not necessarily that much, but at least a little bit to be able to, to automate it.
0: When you listen to Spotify or read the New York Times or order lunch on Grubhub, you get a pretty fantastic online experience. But that's not an easy thing to pull off. Because behind the scenes, these businesses have to handle millions of visitors. They have to update their inventory or the latest news in an instant and ward off the many scary security threats of the Internet. So how do they do it? They use Fastly. Fastly is an edge cloud platform that powers today's best brands so that their websites and apps are faster, safer, and way more scalable. Whether you need to stream live events handle black friday traffic or simply provide a safe reliable experience fastly can help take it for a spin and try it for free by visiting fastly.com/sedaily everybody needs a cloud platform to help you scale your company everybody needs a cdn check it out by visiting fastly.com/sedaily So if I'm a automated or a manual tester that is using the recording tool, let's say I'm going to test a form, like a, a form to fill out a mortgage or something. So I click the recording tool and I start going through filling out the application and then I hit submit and it sends me an email with the application filled out. And that's the end of my test. So I've got an end-to-end test now. It's, it's completely recorded. What happened beneath the surface in that test run? What does the browser do when you click the record button? How is it recording the behavior of the person who is clicking around in that browser window? So
1: the way we decided to do it was to, to display
0: your website
1: on which you want to record within an iframe. It's a choice that we made because it allowed us to give you a very good visibility over the steps that you are creating as you are creating them. And as you are doing that, we are creating a JSON of instructions that are the steps and that are describing what needs to be done by the script. It's very simple, actually, in terms of it's a very simple JSON describing the steps. And then once you run it, we use, first of all, the configurations asking What's the start URL? What are the, what are the locations from where you want to run it? Uh, what's the size of the screen, et cetera, et cetera. And then we run it on a browser using Puppeteer to be able to uh, to automate the testing. Puppeteer is a way that makes it much, much easier to create tests. And so for us, it means that it's easier to create these tests and to run them. And we have a driver executing this test.
0: So... Your company Madumbo was eventually acquired by Datadog. Why did Datadog acquire Madumbo? What are the synergies between a logging company and a company that does automated web application testing?
1: So, as you probably remember, uh, Datadog started with monitoring infrastructure. Datadog started with, okay, there is the, the cloud. Okay, the the cloud is coming. And we need to uh, be able to monitor these new types of hosts that are arriving. And Datadog thrived on that market. Then after a few years of being successful on the infrastructure monitoring, Datadog started working on application performance monitoring. And it entered another business domain that was already fairly crowded with, with great companies. And then he decided to be differentiated compared to them by adding uh, the logging layer. I think you spoke already with uh, the VP of product of a company named Logmatic that got acquired by Datadog, and that was working on that logging system. So Datadog had that three pillars of observability, allowing people to monitor very, very thoroughly their their backend and infrastructure, and to manage their logs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But First of all, our Datadog's APM competitors uh, had some solutions to monitor the front-end. They were allowing people to do synthetics, to run tests against production to ensure that it worked. So these competitors had a product at an offering that Datadog didn't have. At the same time, Datadog has always been trying to break down silos between, between different personas. First, it was between dev developers and operation practitioners. And now with us, uh, with Madumbo, with the acquisition of Madumbo, Datalog is trying to, to bring new personas that are also working very closely with the IT team, which are the QA practitioners and product managers, all these people who care about the product as it's seen by their customers. And the goal is to bring all these people on the same platform because we believe that it makes the process of QA and of ensuring that the product is in a good situation, much easier when you have everyone within the same platform. And um, our goal essentially is is now, and I think that was the strategy when we joined, was to ensure that you could have people creating test scenarios and then you could have engineers using these same scenarios in the context of monitoring operations, monitoring production, or in the context of deployment, etc., etc., how can we free up time to engineers so that they can focus on their features and at the same time ensure product management that the quality is always at a certain level? That's the value brought by having all this, these solutions on the same
0: platform. What have you done since the acquisition?
1: Well, in Datadog, we we, we as as I told you, our goal is to have one platform. So... Meaning, it means that we had to redo everything we had done uh, within Datadog. And that's a lot of work because it means that we have to create, well, to recreate everything, but to create it within a very big and well oiled machine. And we also had to integrate with all the other features, which was a lot of work. We also decided to create another product that appeals to uh, the infrastructure pr- practitioners and SRE people that are very much the core audience or used to be the core ad- audience of Datadog uh, by working on the testing of APIs. So we are not focusing solely on monitoring the web journeys, but also on monitoring APIs because for many companies, APIs are also their products. Their products are, are not stop- are not only the web UI, but it can be also the APIs underneath. And so, with all that offering, we had to work into in order to make it integrated. So we worked very hard in integrating it with the back end and the infrastructure in order to give you, whenever you are launching a test, uh, to give you the state of the back end, the state of the infrastructure at the same time, so that if a test stops working, you can very easily understand if the issue comes from the front end with screenshots or with JS errors, or with resources that we collect from the backend, because we show you the backend traces associated with it, or with the infrastructure, because with the backend traces, we can go down to the hosts that run that very specific piece of backend code. So that was a lot of work to ensure that all these elements from the very end user experience to the, to the host executing the backend code everything is tied together and everything is working fine together. That's been quite challenging and very exciting. We also discovered a scale that was totally different from the one we, we had at, uh, at Madumbo because where well, we were focusing on, on fairly big enterprise companies and with Datadog we could very fast work with hundreds or thousands of companies that are willing to use the product, which means that we have to have the infrastructure on our side Able to to run all these all these tests. That's fairly challenging to do all that.
0: As an acquirer, what are the keys to making an acquisition by a bigger company successful? I think that
1: first, at least that was our case. You need to look up to the people who are going to be your 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 new your new bosses, right? Uh, and 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 we were really impressed by the executives of DataDog that we met. We were like, wow, these guys have a vision. They, they know what they are doing and they have that platform vision and they see why they want us to be on board. I think that might be obvious, but I think that it needs to be to be checked. Uh, then I guess that's what made us very happy with joining Datadog was uh, the, the freedom. Uh, how is the company organized? Are they willing to give you freedom and to let you work on the product that you are willing to bring uh, by guiding you in order to make it in line with the rest of the product, but without telling you exactly what to do? Or are they going to to just explode your team, uh, put it within various teams, destroy your product because for some reason there was some change in the alignment of what's being done? That's things that need to be checked. Some friends of mine that were acquired didn't, didn't end up that that happy with the acquisition because Potentially, they couldn't necessarily keep doing what they were really thinking was valuable for our customers. And that's something that we were fairly happy with after joining Datadog. That was the the two things. And then maybe the organization. Datadog is a very agile company. So even if we came from a super small startup, we were not lost. We were not with processes that would make everything hour-long to decide where to put a button Or Yeah, everything was was smooth, essentially. That's another thing that made all our engineers uh, very happy. And as you can guess, people are key in engineering. We we need engineers to be on board if we want to build great products. And uh, our team stayed fairly on board. They are still all here more than one year after the the acquisition. So we got fairly successful on that. I think these three points are the main thing. Look up to the... Top management, making sure that you will have enough freedom and then making sure that in terms of, of working habits, everything is sufficiently aligned.
0: In your time building Madumbo, what were the biggest lessons you learned from starting a company and taking it to an acquisition? Oh, that's a that's a tough question. <laughs> you, you learn tons of stuff.
1: Well, whenever you start doing something of your own and you haven't done it before, you learn to fight to get what you want. That's, uh, that's probably the main thing, right? If you want to sell something, you need to make sure that it happens. And so you need, to, you need to fight to make it happen. If you want to make a great product, you need to fight to make it happen by asking people for feedback constantly and asking them what they think is really the key issue for them. We were lucky enough to be working with educated people that are understanding what we were, what we were trying to do. And so asking them what they wanted and how they wanted us to do it has been probably the biggest lesson. Listen to, to to your customers is something that is absolutely key, especially in the software industry and in the industry of monitoring software. So that was probably the amongst the biggest lessons and After the acquisition, we also discovered the scale all of a sudden, and that's something that we are wow that we are fairly impressed by because going from one size to a size which is much 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 larger so fast it it teaches you a lot of stuff about how to scale up support how to scale up outage's processes how to scale up uh, the engineering team etc cetera, etc cetera. all these things we, we learned we learned very fast by doing so
0: if you ever start another company what will your next company be oh that's a super tough
1: question there there are tons of of great things to be built to be honest, at the moment, I'm, I'm fairly focused on building DataLogs, uh, synthetics and ROM solution because, as you might have heard, we are, running, we are working on real user monitoring. And these topics are, are super exciting. At the moment, I'm, I'm working very, very hard in making it happen. But globally, I, I really think that there are a lot of work to be done around how to automate processes because a great share of the work that we do constantly is very repetitive. And so probably there is a lot of, of room for improvement in that area. But once again, I, I didn't think about that thoroughly enough. And um, we are fairly focused and, and happy with working in, uh, at Datadog.
0: Gabriel James, thank you for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you.
1: Yeah, thanks. Uh, that was great talking to you as well.
0: DigitalOcean is a simple, developer-friendly cloud platform. DigitalOcean is optimized to make managing and scaling applications easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. With predictable pricing and flexible configurations and world-class customer support, you'll get access to all the infrastructure services you need to grow. And DigitalOcean is simple. If you don't need the complexity of the complex cloud providers, try out DigitalOcean with their simple interface and their great customer support. Plus, they've got 2,000-plus tutorials to help you stay up to date with the latest open-source software and languages and frameworks. You can get started on DigitalOcean for free at do.co/se daily. One thing that makes DigitalOcean special is they're really interested in long-term developer productivity. And I remember one particular example of this when I found a tutorial on DigitalOcean about how to get started on a different cloud provider. And I thought that really stood for a sense of confidence and an attention to just getting developers off the ground faster. And they've continued to do that with DigitalOcean today. All their services are easy to use and have simple interfaces. Try it out at do.co.se daily. That's the letter D, the letter O, dot, the letter C, the letter O, slash SEDaily. And you will get started for free with some free credits. Thanks to DigitalOcean for being a sponsor of Software Engineering Daily.